How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma City Thunder, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone. We're locked in for episode 172 of Locked On Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked On Thunder is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Head on to iTunes, search Locked On Thunder, subscribe to the podcast there, leave a review once you're on that page. You can find us on uh, Audio Boom as well. Thunder won this one 92 to, uh, what, 92 to 91. I'm sitting here with Tim Cato, SB Nation, covers the Mavericks. Russell Westbrook, very good. I, I have to agree with that take. Um... He is uh, maybe even better than very good. Is there a level beyond very good that we can take it to? Very, very good. That's Ooh, the Billy Donovan special. Bill, Billy Donovan never says very. He says very, very, or really, really, or sometimes really, really, really. That's that's the next one. Russell Westbrook might be really, really, really good. I'm, I'm only upset because I wanted to just talk about the Josh Hustis beef that you have <laughs> for 15 minutes, and now we have to talk about Russ. Because Russ is going to rust, but, you know, that's very much him. So Yeah, now we, we got to do Russ. So Russell Westbrook tonight, he finished with box score called up. We're recording this from American Airlines Center Arena. Center. Center. Arena is the Miami one. I know. I always mess, I always mess it up. Uh, okay, American Airlines Center. After the Thunders win, Russell Westbrook had – what did he have? Why can't I read a box score? 37 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists, 6 turnovers, 15 of 30 from the field, 16 in the fourth quarter, 12 in the last three and a half minutes, 12 of the Thunder's last 14 points. The Thunder were down 13, 91 to 78. They went on a 14-0 run with Westbrook having 12 of those points at the end. Adams had the other two. I'm curious from your perspective. This is something I ask people. When I have people who don't actually cover the Thunder on, I tend to ask them this. What is your perspective of seeing Westbrook? Because I'm, I'm with him every day. And Thunder fans, you know, people who listen to this podcast are probably watching every Thunder game because, like, you're not going to be a casual Thunder fan and listen <laughs> to this crap. So what is your perspective from the outside of just, like, this is not the first time he's done this? And watching Russ when he's doing these fourth quarters this season of just what's happening. Well, th- this this is what stands out to me, like, like when, when I really think about Russ and I'm like, this is this is why he's an MVP candidate. This is this is why he's so good. It's it's when he can do these things where, you know, it's him against the world and he's winning somehow still. And I you know I kind of kept waiting for it to happen because the, it felt like the Thunder just in a malaise like the entire game, and uh, it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it was just like I mean I guess in the third quarter they had a that a brief little run but then it fell back right right back into it and the Mavericks were coasting. And it just felt like that wasn't going to snap at any point. It was this, you know, the, the the point differential. It was a thirteen or it was a thirteen point advantage with three thirty to play. Is that right? Yeah, ninety one seventy eight. That's right. That's right. And because of the pace of the game and because of the points that have been scored, that I mean, it felt like it could have been twenty five in another game in a in a Rockets game that would have been you know much more. And this it just like the the gap felt so much wider. And then you just see 
Russ, you know, get that get that snarl on his face, and he he's all over the place, and you know the the Mavericks offense wilting down the stretch is another topic, but but clearly it doesn't happen without Russ taking over, and that is the thing that just stands out to me, and it's it's a combination of taking over because no one else on the team was gonna do it, and taking over because he's just that good and able to to be that good. So the Thunder played really badly. Like they, they 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 look like the team. On the second half of a back-to-back, they had 35 points in the first half. That second quarter was just – they got to an okay start for six, seven minutes. Right. And their starting lineup, like their current starting lineup, I have to look at the lineup data after tonight. It's ridiculous. Like you look at Taj Gibson's plus-minus tonight. Taj Gibson was a plus-27 tonight. And, and Taj Gibson is good. I'm kind of on the train of Taj Gibson needs more minutes now. He had 24 tonight, which is more than he had in the Houston game. I think he had 17 or 18 in the Houston game. But that lineup, it's not so much that Taj Gibson needs more minutes. Their starting lineup, like that starting five group together, the lineup data on that right now, and I know it's it's only been like 13, 14 games or whatever, not even of Gibson in the starting lineup because he's only been here since the trade deadline. Uh, but he didn't start right away. He came off the bench those first six minutes or so. But that lineup has absurd lineup data. And I'm assuming I haven't looked at the lineup data from this uh, – game tonight because I, I like to be as unprepared as possible for my podcasts. But it was obviously really good tonight. They had their runs at the start of the third quarter. They got out to an right. 11-0 run after right. that terrible second quarter where they scored 10 points. They had three field goal makes and they had nine turnovers. Three times as many turnovers as they had field goal makes in the second quarter, which is not a very successful quarter. Would you say it's very, very bad? <laughs> would you go that far? Because I think I would. <laughs> I would say it's very, very bad. Okay. It's as bad as Russell Westbrook's closing stretch was good. Mm, comparable. Maybe not equal, but, but comparable. In, in similar worlds, I would say. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but the starting lineup, I mean, they were good with the starting lineup. They got to a good start in the first quarter, a good start in the third quarter, and they closed well. Right. That starting lineup is doing well. It's it's when they use other lineups that kind of goes to goes, goes, goes to hell right now. Um Samaje Kristen's playing a lot of minutes. I asked Billy about that uh, before the game, about Kristen playing. He got 20 more in this game, and uh, Norris Cole didn't come off the bench. If you want to read Billy's full quotes, I tweeted that out. You can check my timeline at Fred Katz. Uh, you can dig back a little bit deeper in the game, and you can find those. I tweeted that out sometime around the beginning of the first quarter. This one around 7.45 Central Time on uh, – on Monday, so you can you can find that while, out. While you're out on his page, hit that unfollow button just in case. <laughs> just just gonna throw that out there. You can replace it with a uh, with a very nice at Tim underscore Cato follow, but you know that's that's to each their own. But you have no shame. I do not know. Not when it comes to Fred Katz, who has uh, get, got called out by Josh Eustis. <laughs> you uh, love that. I, I do love. I that. can't that's, have too much Eustis talk. We just no. did the Eustis podcast, I, and I don't want to boost Josh's ego. He doesn't. He doesn't deserve it. Unbelievable. You know who's really good. Finally, something interesting happened. You know who actually is really good. Who is really good? No one's Noel. He is. The the maps have top ten defense since he came over, right? They do. Yeah, they've been number seven since the break. Although that stat's a couple games old, I would imagine even with that the uh, the the final three minutes that you know it's only going to get better with this game, allowing ninety two points. Um, what's funny is he didn't play the final few minutes there. He wasn't out there, and he's arguably at this point, you know, their best player, maybe. He he, he honestly might be their best player right now uh, already. You know, Harrison Barnes is obviously up there too, but Nerlens has been, you know, it's still unbelievable that they got him for the price they did, which was um, 
essentially Justin Anderson, a decent prospect, and uh, two second-rounders. A first-rounder that turns into two second-rounders because there's no way they're meeting the first-round qualifications. So I don't, I'm don't. i not quite sure what Philadelphia was doing, but he, is, he has been a godsend. It was a classic case. You know what? I, I honestly don't really knock Philly for it. I, I agree with – okay, so I agree with everything right. that you said. Right. Um, it was a great value trade. It was. And I think the same thing of him as a player as you do probably. Mm-hmm. I think he's really good. Like I thought he was really good. I wrote a take that was considered so hot, but I genuinely believed it. His rookie year, I thought he was rookie of the year over Andrew Wiggins. I was the only person in the world that thought he was rookie of the year over Andrew Wiggins. But he I just was, thought – He was so good that year. It was – he was a rookie who was leading the back line of this – unheard of roster to 12th in defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so impressive for a rookie to be the center and signal caller and leader in every way of a defense and lead them to 12th in defensive efficiency with a bunch of guys nobody really heard of. They had a couple of good defensive players in that team. You know, Covington's really good. People who listen to this podcast know how much I love Robert Covington. Oh, he's amazing. Although he wasn't quite the defender back then that he No, he's, he yeah, wasn't he's, as good. But he was definitely good. Yeah, he was definitely good. It wasn't yeah. like they had absolutely he's, no one who was yeah. quality. But Nerlens Noel was the, the best defensive player on that team. And he was the center and the signal caller and the anchor of that defense and led them to 12th, uh, which was amazing. Especially considering they fell off the next year, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they were way down the bottom of the league last year. And I just thought that was so impressive. And ever since then, I've been like, if a dude can do that as a rookie, if he's that – I mean, he's slender. Adams, like, manhandled him a couple times in the post. Uh, but if he can anchor a defense like that, block shots, he's so athletic, he can set screens, he can roll to the rim, he can finish, he can throw him lobs – He's and and he, and he hits like fourteen footers now too, like he he's he's gonna be he's still really young he's gonna be really good he's gonna be really really good I think yeah he's he's a uh, he's a problem in a in a for anybody who who's trying to go up against him and he's you know he's a he's a centerpiece for Dallas now like they they traded for him you know with every expectation that they're gonna sign him this summer which they will however much money that takes that they will they will sign him this summer um, he's restricted so even if if he, I mean if he can't go sign, sign somewhere else, not that he'd even want to. Um, just in general, you know, he's, he's the, um, he, he demonstrates the turnaround that they've made from where two years ago after DeAndre Jordan scorned them, they had next to no, nothing when it came to youth. Um, and, and all of a sudden they have uh, Noel and they have a 24-year-old Harrison Barnes who is, you know, more than adequate. They have um, Yogi Ferrell who came out of nowhere. They have Seth Curry who was injured this game, but uh, has has been very very good for them since the break. So so yeah, this this team will be, this team you know should be a playoff contender next year with the way they've played um, since uh, since about January. They they've been con- like quite a bit over 500 since then. You know, assuming they can just keep that level of play. You know, they don't even have to get better from where they've been. You know, that that should put them right in playoff contention. So the reason, by the way, that I said I wouldn't kill Philly for that deal. Why is that? Why are you wrong? So go ahead. No, I honestly don't think I'm, I'm being wrong. so mean I, to you. It's it's a classic. It's a classic case of you don't get what you deserve. You only get what you have the leverage to negotiate. Yeah. And they had no leverage. Now, granted, part of their lack of leverage was was on them. They probably should have made this trade at the start of the year, but they probably they were not going to keep him and Embiid. It just didn't make sense. Well, and and they, I understand that there are different ways of going about it. And I understand that they they should have they yeah. shouldn't have prolonged it as long as they should have. And I agree with I agree with that part. I, I and that's right. not a case of hindsight being twenty twenty. They probably should have made a deal with him over the summer or something like that. And, and the fact that like they came out and basically said I forget exactly what 
Colangelo's comments were, but he basically blamed it on, well, we were given a roster with three centers, so this, you know, what are we supposed to do? And I was like, well, man, you, you had a whole offseason. What are you talking about? You didn't just get hired yesterday. And that was before they made that was before they made the Noel trade. Noel wanted out too. Noel openly talking about wanting out never helps in trade leverage. No doubt. Yeah. And, and there were not a lot of there just wasn't a huge like just from asking around like there was not a huge market for him, and they kind of put themselves in a position to where they had to trade him. That was really I guess the best that they could do. It was not a good trade. I just think that sometimes there are terrible trades that people make where they deserve to get bashed over the head for. And there are terrible trades that people make where it's like, well, they're in a circumstance already where it's like they're probably never going to be able to make a better trade, so they might as well take the sixty percent, you know, the sixty cents on the dollar for them. So you, you say they had to trade Noel. I say they had to trade a center, and I would have traded Joe, uh, Julio Oka for for literally anything that you would have got I back from, don't, him, which may have. Been I don't think that was possible. A future second round pick for nothing. You know, there there was there was um there was talks about um. You know the Pelicans being, but in then the they traded for Cousins, and then they traded for Cousins. They were the only I, ones. You may be right. If if there was literally no market, and by no market I mean no one would even take him uh, back for nothing, then then I feel more sympathetic. That's that's a fair point. I, I'm kind of operating under the premise of like nobody was going to take Okafor. Yeah, I don't think there was any market for him at all. I and know, I agree. I wouldn't. Take I know. Him I, I know there were some Chicago rumors being right. pushed, but right. I also. I also heard from everyone that I spoke to that Chicago was just – Chicago didn't want anything to do with him. Right. Um, I think that might have been some false uh, some false peddling coming out of Philadelphia to build a little bit of leverage. So I, 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 I don't – in my estimation, there was absolutely no market for Okafor, who's, who's basically – why are we talking about Philadelphia? After, <laughs> we got very sidetracked. After the Thunder-Dallas the Thunder <laughs> game. You know who played well in the second half? Who did play well in the second half? You tell me. Steven Adams, who played really badly. I don't know. Did you watch the Houston game yesterday? I did, but not intently. Played really badly in Houston yesterday. Yeah. One of his worst games of the year. He doesn't really fit against that team at all. Yeah, it's not a good matchup for him, um, especially when Anderson's out and I start Eric Gordon, and they got Ariza at the four next to right. Yeah, next to all those shooters. It's, it's Beverly so much and moving and running for him. Beverly and Harden and Ariza and Gordon all in the same lineup and Steven Adams out there. It's just really tough for him. I thought he did, a, he did not have a great first half, I didn't think. thought he did a lot better in the second half. He, he had a big tip in late. Um, he had some big offensive rebounds. He set late some great screens down the stretch to free up Westbrook. His defense, I thought, down the stretch. I mean, Mavs definitely cramped up on offense, don't get me wrong, but I thought Adams' defense was really good in the second half. I, I thought he played a really, really good second half. I thought that was a big turnaround for him from the last game and a half. I feel like I saw good defensive moments from almost every Thunder who was on the floor in those those final three minutes. And, and it, again, like you said, Mavericks certainly let that happen. But I remember Roberson playing Harrison Barnes straight up on a drive. It may have, it may not have been the final three minutes, but it was it was towards the end of the game. Obviously, Russell Westbrook had a, I guess, his, can you call it a signature defensive moment? It might not have been that spectacular, but it was a defensive moment that proceeded to win them a game. I thought. Westbrook, by his standards, I thought it was one of his better defensive games of the year. I thought I he played so. pretty well. He was really active, and I, I, it was, I, I think it was probably just one of those games where, like, when you gamble a lot, sometimes you win. Like, the house almost always wins, but the house doesn't always win. <laughs> uh, and I think it was one of those nights where, like, he was either anticipating passing lanes well. 
uh, or cutting off passing lanes, or, or Dallas was being a little bit reckless. It, it was probably a little bit more of the latter, uh, but it worked. It worked for him because especially second half, he was getting into every passing lane. I thought he played so much of it for him is just how hard he plays on defense because he has all the physical traits. And I think he has a lot of the mental traits too. I mean, he gambles a lot, mm-hmm. but if he plays hard, he's so fast and he's so athletic and he's long and he's strong and he's just, you know, he's everything and he should at least be capable defensively. I thought he played pretty hard defensively tonight, and that, that makes such a big difference from some of those games where he's just really failing to close out and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm not a uh, I'm not a triple double truther by any means. I, I do think that he um, is notoriously bad at, at closing out on on shooters. Yeah, he in, is. In no, favor. there's no yeah. question. Yeah, yeah cool. I, I wasn't sure how uh, how far we can dig deep into that on this podcast, but I, I do... I don't work for the Fender. No, no doubt, no doubt. I'm not trying to get any angry emails or, or tweets. Oh, now you'll, that get, they, you'll get angry tweets. Now, now that they have followed me you'll instead of get, you. You'll you know. get angry tweets. There's only a 100% chance you'll get angry tweets. No, no. I, I, don't, I don't think that um, Westbrook's rebounding being, in some instances, very, not fabricated, but, but inflated, takes away from everything else that he does. But I do think it's a fact that that some of his rebounding is is definitely hyped up by the by the way he plays, which which directly impacts his rebounding numbers and maybe doesn't benefit the team as well as it should. But on the other hand, Westbrook getting getting a rebound and then just taking off is obviously a positive for the Thunder. Well, to me, it's all about that conversation. To me, is all about framing, right? Because the facts are there. The facts are laid down. He he doesn't close out that much. There was this Reddit from like two months that I read like a month or two right. ago that went viral earlier this week. I think it was probably because Bob Vulgaris tweeted it out mm. and, and it just kind of went went viral everywhere. And that was like a month or two old. And it was about how, how Westbrook is all the way down at the bottom of the league in, in three-point, contested three-point shots. And it's true. He's he's way down at the bottom of the league in that stat. And and there is a there are many reasons for it. And and a lot of his rebounds are uncontested. He leads the league in uncontested rebounds. That being said, the Thunder are better when he gets those uncontested rebounds. Thunder are thirty and seven when he gets triple doubles. It, those stats can be misleading. If it's like the Thunder winning percentage is six hundred when he gets a triple double, and it's five fifty when he doesn't, then I'm 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 willing to believe like all right, those numbers are too close. When it's thirty and seven when he gets a triple double, and when they're a three hundred team when he doesn't get a triple double. It's undeniable that the triple-doubles are helping. Just, the sample size is too large. We've seen it too much. The fact that he's able to get on the break is is literally the most important thing for their offense. The most important thing for their offense is them getting down the floor quickly. It's not even them scoring in transition. It's them getting mismatches so they can capitalize on the half-court. Because the thing about their half-court offense, it's not that good. But they have guys who are actually okay against mismatches. Like if you can get a small guy on Canner because he has small guys to pick him up in transition, if you can get a small guy on Canner, Canner can go to work on him. Small guy on Adams, same thing. Big guy on Westbrook, he can go to work on him. Like if you can force mismatches, their half-court offense becomes actually pretty okay because they have guys who are pretty good against mismatches too. And his so, game-winning shot was, you know, it wasn't a fast break, but it was him with a full head of steam and, you know, situated, you know, a similar situation all that. Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's – that's when he thrives, those yep. open floor situations. Yep. And and so it's all about framing. You can look at the facts and, and you can frame it in a, in a demeaning way or you can frame it in – and it's it's not even necessarily being, as the internet people say, a hater <laughs> or, or a homer. Like right. it's just knowing how to put them into proper context. Um, and, and to me, 
this this stuff is happening. We can all agree this stuff is happening. <laughs> we we can't agree it is indeed happening. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean like I mean <laughs> this stuff. It's very the, vague. The reality that we see in front of us is in fact facts. I don't so. know, man. It's 2017. <laughs> People can look at a sky and say the sky is green. And people believe it for some reason just because the dude says it. It's probably uh, a dark, dark uh, blue right now. Let's close out. Where can people find you? Anything to plug? Um, not too much. Um, I have some stuff coming out, but it's it's down the road. Uh, I'm thinking I'm probably going to write off this game, though. So if you want to read me uh, talk a little bit about uh, Westbrook and, and me wrestling about his MVP chances and using some quotes from here, you know, stepping all over uh, Fred's shoes here, obviously. Uh, you can find that. I'll tweet it out at Tim underscore Cato on Twitter. And then beyond that, just espionation.com slash NBA. We're always there. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. And log on to Thunder Road. That's my blog, normantranscript.com. And you can see all my Thunder coverage there. I am back. Let's see. I fly to Orlando. It's midnight right now in Dallas. I fly to Orlando out of DFW in six hours. So I'm going to get a solid two and a half, three hours of sleep before I go there. But the Thunder are off on Tuesday. I was thinking about spending the day at Disney World. And then I looked up, well, I looked up how expensive Disney World is. It's crazy. I have to spend so much money just so I can be the creepy adult who went to Disney World by himself. Bring uh, Josh with you. (laughs) Have Houston pay for it. (laughs) That would be even creepier. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's going to do it for tonight. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow previewing the Magic game. Victor Oladipo's return to Orlando. Not Serge Ibaka's second game against the Thunder because he plays for Toronto now. Hmm. It's breaking, breaking news from a month ago. All right. It's tired. I'm tired. It's tired. It's like like, uh, Buster Bluth saying, it's it's tired in here. We'll make it there somehow. All right. Locked on Thunder is locking up. (laughs) 